Father, your word says that no one knows the day or the hour but my Father in heaven. And uh, Father, we want to be ready on that day, on that hour uh, for, for Jesus. So we want to be ready. And Lord, we sense, um, we know that the war is hotting up and we need to be warriors who are fully kitted up and on the battlefield. Uh, Father, I'll just commit all of this to you afresh. I ask that you will take us where you want us to go, that everything that you want to bring out will come out today because I know I can't rely on my memory at all. You'll just do it. Father, we bless you because of the power of the name of Jesus. We declare his victory, his lordship, his kingship over everything, his sovereignty over the, over the whole earth and the universe. We declare, Father, that we are delighted to be in your family. Lead us this morning, I pray, Father. Just lead me now uh, in whatever you want to say, whatever you want to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. While we were praying this morning before um, we came, uh, Joyce or Telsa told us the news this morning about more bombs being found. Now, any of you that came to the Come Up Higher conference, and some of you didn't, um, which was for ladies, would have got uh, this little booklet, uh, and the front of it says, Britain will be saved by praying women. Um, in these days, dears, it's absolutely essential that you pray the one that was inside there, which was the prayer in these days of terrorism. We pray this twice a day, Joyce and I, and have done for now two years since the bombings in London. God called us to it August before last. But the point is that this prayer asks that these things will be discovered. It asks that they will be brought to justice. It asks that the Lord will move on our behalf. So if the Britain is going to be saved by praying women, then we need to be doing the praying. The enemy will say to you, oh, you're saying the same prayer. God's not listening to that. But let me tell you, he is. Because we rejoice every time we find that, that, that they've been rumbled, they've been seen, that things don't go off. We specifically ask of these things. We live in the place where we expect prayer to be answered. So girls, if you want one of these, let me know because I'll have some more printed so that you can have the prayers to begin to pray. One is, is the prayer for terrorism. One is the prayer for England. Um, it includes the prophecy in 1911 that what a great work the women will do in the end time and the men will follow. Uh, there's all sorts of little declarations and prayers. So I'll be happy to have little booklets done up. So if you let Joyce or I know, then we'll do that. So that will be really good. The other thing I felt that the Lord was uh, impressing on me this morning is that if you really want to be part of the Lord's end time army and think about what you are saying, uh, to call you forward and just anoint you for the battle that is coming. Uh, because this whole business is about being prepared. So we want warriors, not wimps. So if you feel, you know, if you know the laws of warfare, turn back if you're frightened don't come forward. He sent them back. It's in Leviticus, I think. You know, if they're nervous, they'll upset their fellows when they're on the battlefield. Um, so it isn't going to be any disgrace not to come forward, and it doesn't matter if nobody does. 
Um, but if you do come forward and, and uh, just dab a little bit of oil on you, <laughs> Paul and Kerry said this morning, you're not going to have enough oil. <laughs> pour it over. Uh, the bottle won't run dry. Um, just come forward now and I'll pray for you. I'll just ask for the Lord to, to and it will hot up. It won't be easy because June's not been well this morning because of this. But we've either got to stand up and be counted and do it um, or not. So I'll shut my eyes and see if anybody wants to come forward. Because if you do... Oh, well done, those girls. Thank you, Father. Hey! Oh, thank you, Father. <laughs> oh, where do I start? Look at them all. Oh, bless you guys. Oh, Lord, you knew. <laughs> you knew. You knew. Thank you, Father. Father. Okay, Alison, I just anoint you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus. Receive your armor, darling. Receive your armor in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Telsa, dear, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, you're seeing all these girlies this morning. Thank you, Father. Just come, Holy Spirit. When I've anointed you, if you could go back to your seat and I'll be able to get all the others that have come forward. Oh, hello. <laughs> Might as well, you can do me in a minute if I could stand up straight. Thank you, Father. You see, he takes volunteers. He doesn't take press men. Thank you, Father, for this gem. Empower her, Father. But Lord, protect her too, in Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Heavy, 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 heavy. Thank you, Lord. Carry, darling. Anoint her, Father, in the name of Jesus. Without fear. Without fear. Without fear. Father, let there be no fear, Father. No fear. Just enjoyment. Because Jesus loves a good fight. He's the Lord of Sabaoth. He's the Lord of hosts. Well done. Oh, well done, sweetheart. God sees that. He sees that. Bravery is not the absence of fear. It's doing it anyway. It's saying, I might be scared stiff, but I'm jolly well going to be part of this. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I see you, Paul, covered in head to foot with shining armour. Frontline troops, Father, teach him, teach him, teach him the ways of battle, Father. Don't let him run into it before you send him. Teach him, teach him, teach him, Father. Thank you for his heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, guys. Bless you, my darling. Bless you. You've already been through an awful lot of battles. An awful lot of battles. You're pretty tooled up, really. <laughs> Father's just come afresh on Elaine, in Jesus' name. Just come afresh, Father. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, you always surprise us. We never know what you're going to do next. <laughs> Thank you. I know that whoever's here this morning is here by God's design. 
Father, thank you for Alison. Strengthen her, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Steel in her backbone, Father. Determination, Father, to go the full way, no matter what. Father, in Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Have no fear. He's at the front. We're just following up behind. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, bless you, Phil. Bless you, Phil. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Father. Warrior woman. Warrior woman. Quietly getting on with it. Warrior woman. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Oh, bless you, darling. Father, I pray for special covering over Kathy, Father, and the work that she's doing. Father, right up the spear, the front line. Just keep her covered, Father. Keep her covered. Thank you, Father. Sort out the areas where she's got problems, Father. Just come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Anointed for battle. Your sword's already been dipped in blood. Thank you, Father. That's how they used to uh, baptize their sword, you know, in blood. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Jackie. A new day, new day, new day, new day. Don't look back. New day, new day, new day. New day, fresh start, fresh start. Thank you, Father. I see you right in the front line, shoulder to shoulder with your sisters, marching as one, eyes straight ahead, looking neither to the left nor the right. Father, keep them focused, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Idea. I was going to get such a turnout. You're a glutton for punishment, aren't you? <laughs> oh, he's saying, well done, my beauty. My great beauty. Well done. Well done. Well done. The battle's not going to let up yet, but well done. You'll come through, you'll come through, you'll come through, and you'll come through, my queen. You're another bird to see her. You've got your knives on your chariot. Come on, girls. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord. And Deborah, don't mess that lovely hair up. <laughs> ah, thank you. Got great plans for you, my sweetheart. Just keep focused. Don't look at what's happening around you. It's peripheral stuff. It's no importance. Don't get caught up in it. Just let it go. Let it go. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Pamela or Patricia? Patricia. Why do I always get the P's mixed up? Patricia, bless you, my darling. Thank you, Father. Come, Holy Spirit. Just confirm everything you've been saying to her. The call you've placed on her life, Father. Bring it to the front. Just strengthen her in her inner man, Father. Lord, let things drop off her today. Just let them drop off her today. New day, fresh day, new vision. Things maybe you've never seen. Be open, he said, be open, be open. I see you riding fast, fast. Yeah. <laughs> ah. Galloping across a plane, riding fast. And you're on your own. You're just flying across this Here plane. <laughs>
Thank you, Father. Yeah, ride, ride. Go for it, girl. <laughs> yes, thank you, Father. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Britain will be saved by praying women. Molly, my darling, what a beauty. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. My goodness me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I'm glad she's on my side. <laughs> oh, hallelujah, Father. Just strengthen this lady. A queen, if ever I saw one. My goodness me. Thank you, Jesus. Just come, Holy Spirit. Confirm everything you've been saying to her. Speak to her today. I can hear the yes in her heart, Father. A little bit tremulous, but it's there. Not sure what this is all about, but I'm having some. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Bless you, darling. Oh, oh, oh. All kitted out, eh? Up for some more. Oh, thank you, Father. Oh, thank you for June, Lord. Thank you, thank you for restoring her, Father. Continue to restore her, Father. Just strengthen her now. Just come, Holy Spirit. Just receive the Holy Spirit afresh, darling. Just washing over you, freshening you, refreshing you, strengthening you for the next leg. Thank you, Father. My word. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. I feel the heat coming off of you. <laughs> and that's not a hot sweat. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, God knew, didn't he, what he got here this morning? Amen. If any of you get prophetic words or anything, don't hesitate. Seeing Telsa scribbling away there. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I've got it here. Look. This is from the Song of Songs. I'm trying to drape it over the whatever you call this thing. Um, it's uh, the um, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. His banner over me is love. And then there's all the harps and in Hebrew and uh, in English. It's beautiful, isn't it? Thank you, Father. That's our declaration. Banner over us is love. Okay. Well, I don't know how far we'll get today, but we'll do our best. Right. Could I have the thing in me bob up, please? This one is called Paradise Lost to Paradise Regained. And it's an outline or an overview or a I'm not actually dipping too much into the book of Revelation um, because I want more to major on uh, the various views and uh, there's all sorts of views on interpretations of Revelation as there are of the rest of the Bible. But the scripture I started with was um, no one knows the day or the hour but my Father in heaven. That's Matthew 24:36. I would say to you, don't worry to take too many notes. Um, we can email you the notes because we have the technology. Uh, so um, you can have a complete set and all the uh, references as well. I find myself, if I'm trying to take too many references, I'm losing track of what the person is saying and there's going to be a, probably a lot of information coming out this morning. So just as Genesis is the book of beginnings, Revelation is the book of consummation. And its title means unveiling or disclosure. It's an unveiling or disclosure of the character and program of God. It portrays Jesus, the resurrected Christ, who alone has authority to judge the earth, remake it, and rule in righteousness. So you can see all these things. It's just taking you through. I shall probably do you 
a photocopy of that as well if you want it. It's the book of the Revelation and should never be called Revelations. Makes my teeth go on edge. It is the revelation of a person and the person is the Lord Jesus Christ. I've just done a, a lion at home because I wanted to do a lion. Because I want to do some notes on Revelation and I want the lion on the front. So he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Uh, written by John, prophetic book, prophecy very important right now because we need to hear the heartbeat of God and know what's going on. Um, these are all, as you run down them, it's self-explanatory. It's not to do with us, the, right, the wrath being poured out. Um, because Jesus took the wrath of God on us and those of us that look for us and those of us who have received him will not be subject to it. One of the main reasons why I don't think we'll go through the tribulation. Uh, chapters 19 and 20, great white throne judgment. You'll never stand before that. A lot of Christians think they will, but you won't. Maybe we'll go into that at some stage. Uh, heavenly Jerusalem, eternal bliss. Behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. The main issues usually are how literal is the book or is it just picture language and an awful lot of um, people including I think the Anglicans think that it's picture language. Is there a literal thousand year reign to come? Well is there. Will the church go through this time of great tribulation and will we stand before the great white throne to be judged? Well the answer to the last one is no. The answer to the second one is second one up will the church go through the time of tribulation my view is no is there a literal thousand year reign to come my answer is a yes and is it literal yes the bible is its own commentary and you will find everything that is mentioned in the book of revelation is mentioned somewhere else so uh, what you're looking at is a, a consummation a coming together and you need to be pulling together the whole bible to bring the book of Revelation to light, to life. Right. Okay, thank you. That's that one. There, that's fine. The next one will probably be that one, I think, or it might even be the map. I'll see as I go along. I'll tell you in a minute. Mm, I'm not sure. Mm. So, I'm quite often asked why I'm so sure that we're in the end times, and my answer is invariably Israel. God's faithfulness to Israel as a nation will yet be manifested and the fact that they are now back in their own land complies with Jesus' own prophecy regarding when the fig tree puts forth her leaves and uh, Israel has always been uh, known as the fig tree and that is Matthew 24, 32 and 33. So the fig tree is the nation of Israel back in her own land and we're on a countdown to the end of the age. But in our own land, there's something more sinister and invasive that leads me to the conclusion that the all, end of all things is near. And that is actually the rise of anarchy. Everybody doing as they think fit. If you look at the end of the book of Judges, you'll see that's almost the last sentence. Every man did as he thought fit. They had no king to rule over them, so they all were a law unto themselves. So rebellion and anarchy were hallmarks of Genesis 13, which we looked at when we talked about homosexuality. Mankind's total rejection of the authority of God and his word, lack of honor and respect for authorities and the authorities which God set in place, 
and instead we have animal rights, children's rights, while ignoring the abuse that actually goes on in the home daily. So we have children's rights, but in actual fact we do nothing to discipline our children or correct them, and things that go on behind closed doors with children are horrendous. And these are all hallmarks of a disintegrating society which no longer follows God's laws for behaviour and right living. And we will reap what we're sowing. If I asked you how you felt about the monarchy, the prime minister, the police, the magistrates, I tried this out on someone, how would you react? The Bible says very clearly that no matter what type of government you live under, you have a duty to honour and respect the pe people who are above you within that society. That's Romans 13, 1 to 4. It doesn't matter whether they are good or bad. I mean, the times that Paul lived in, they were appalling. They were under Roman subjection. It was appalling. But still, he writes, submit to the governing authorities. Submitting to or receiving and sitting under authority is something we do not like. And that principle of rebellion has dominated the universe since the fall of Satan. At Adam's fall, this principle of rebellion was released. Eve had a choice, God's authority or Satan's authority, and the choice is still the same. Every one of us has to choose between the human viewpoint, which is Satan's, and what God says, the divine viewpoint. What we're going to look at in a moment is what's going to happen when God says the cup of iniquity is full. It's time for rebellion to be judged. The whole world is currently in a day of grace before the judgment of God. The Holy Spirit is preparing the church, the bride of Christ for her bridegroom, and the odds are shortening rapidly. There's two brides being prepared. The new age will be preparing Satan's bride, and the, uh, the Holy Spirit is preparing the bride of Christ. If you asked in the world who is right and who is wrong, they would probably answer that the majority is right. Unfortunately for them, God doesn't see it that way. As the majority don't believe in God's only son, so that makes them wrong by God's standard. But in the world's view, the majority is right, and it can be summed up by saying, if it feels good, do it. Today, every man is his own sovereign ruler, having spurned the rulership of God. The Bible says certain things are wrong, but society says, no, if you like it, do it. And I have to say that in the church, there's a lot of that as well. And the whole concept of sin is dying out. And for us, that makes preaching the gospel harder than ever because within the church, certain things are looked upon as quite acceptable, which according to God's word are totally unacceptable. So for me, this is yet another sign of the end of the age. So having said that, we are going to have a quick look at the book of Revelation, the unveiling, the book that concludes God's word to mankind. Many believers are frightened of this book because they don't understand the content. But in its opening remarks, it states, you will be blessed if you read it. It's the only book in the Bible with a promise attached to it. Anybody like to put their hand up if they are actually frightened of Revelation, never been in it because they are frightened of it? Anybody ever read it? Yeah. But it says you'll be blessed. Why do you think Satan wants you kept out of there? Because it, it shows you where he's going to become a crisp. That's <laughs> so there's nothing to fear. 
We need to take away the mystique and begin to enjoy what God has laid out for us. There's really nothing to fear. We've got tomorrow's news today, and we're the only people who can say with certainty what tomorrow holds, and furthermore, what happens when a person dies. So we should be the happiest people on earth, because we have the security of knowing exactly what's going on. People say to us, you don't keep up with the news. I've got it in here. I know which way it's going to go. I don't need to know the gory details. We are rapidly approaching the culmination of church history and therefore the continuation of Jewish history. Can I have now the overview, dear, please? We, yes, please. We looked at this when we, the, on the first baton that I did. Remember, those of you who were here, the tall girls held out the long strip for me, giving you the whole thing right across from creation and grace before universal judgment the call of Abraham, which brought forth the Jewish nation, the exodus, the captivity, the history of the Jews right up to the death of Jesus on the cross. And the little arrow says, you are here. Between Pentecost and the rapture of the church is the church age. And in old-fashioned tape recorders, you had a pause button. So since the Jews <laughs> refused their Messiah... Their history has largely been on pause because they can't actually hear the gospel. God's deafened them to it because when he came as their Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, they didn't believe. And so we got the opportunity. So this is what this little diagram is. There's, there's just one left there. And the time of the Great Tribulation is the history of the Jews continued for seven years, and it's going to be a horrendous time. Then there's your thousand years after the second advent, when we will reign and rule with Jesus. And all that we are going through right now is to prepare us for that time of reigning and ruling. I mean, we could be there tomorrow. It could happen any time. He could come and take us away. That's why we need to be ready like the wise virgins. As we'll see in a minute, it's all about the Jewish wedding ceremony. It's a romance. God's romantic. He's been romancing mankind from the Garden of Eden. What we go through is largely a result of the fall and, and the enemy activity. So then we have the great white throne judgment uh, and the finish of all Satan's activities, the eternal state and the new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, all there. We, are, we have got the most fantastic future. Never mind about your pension fund. I mean, <laughs> we have got a brilliant future. So we are in the place of where there remains, right in the middle of the second little squares, the resumption of history, Israel's history. And Daniel's 70th week, my word, has that caused us some problems. But we won't go into that today because... It is too complicated, and I haven't got it straight myself. So, um, but when we do look at the book of Revelation, which we will do next year, anybody? There's some little handouts here for you soon, giving the dates of the bat batons and what's coming in 2008 at Fieldview. So we can't look at the book of Revelation in isolation. The book of Daniel plays a major part in our understanding of exactly what's happening there. And as I've already said, my position and the one I, from which I would teach is that I'm a pre-tribulation millennialist. 
I think I'm also a fundamentalist, which means I believe the thing from cover to cover, you know, Genesis to maps, as they say. If he said it, it's in there, it's his word, therefore. The fact that I don't understand all of it is neither here nor there. So I believe that the church is going to be caught up before the great tribulation of which Jesus spoke in Matthew 24, 21. I believe in a literal thousand-year reign of Jesus on the renewed earth following his second advent. This doesn't mean that I'll ignore other views. I will examine them. But I will show you my reasons for what I believe and then you can go away and have a look and see what you believe. But I can't hope to do a verse-by-verse -verse explanation of the book today. But what I do propose to try to do is to give you a quick overview to give you an idea of how to read and understand it. And I've got some little handouts here. Again, of course, they're coming from the viewpoint um, of the tribulation, uh, the, that the church is bodily removed. Lovely. Yes, please, that's lovely. Um, but it will give you an idea of the way to read the book because a lot of it is in full detail. You'll get a chapter, it's the way the Jews wrote. People say, um, Genesis 1 and 2 don't line up. Well, the Jews will give the headline and then give you the infill detail later, just like a newspaper, man kills wife. And then you get the... The, the main item goes back to the whole detail of what happened. So you, you, it's not, in that way, it's not chronological. But when you get to the seals, trumpets and vials, judgments, it's, it's one after the other. So that will help you in looking through the book. And I want to explain what God's purpose is in this time of great tribulation, which is to come on the earth. I'm going to look at the first three chapters which speak to the seven churches. I'm going to have a look at the various views regarding the rapture and the millennium so that you can decide what you believe. I'm going to look, away, look at the catching away of the church and very quickly the glorious appearing, the parousia, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in great power and glory and what will happen at that time. The prophetic white word made more sure it's says in 2 Peter 1.19 which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. I think that probably more than two thirds of the Bible is prophecy that's either been fulfilled or yet to be fulfilled and God can't speak without being prophetic. He says let there be and there is. That is prophecy. Let there be and it will happen. God speaks, it happens sometimes straight away, sometimes many, many years later. That's what prophecy is. It's God telling us tomorrow's news today. He constantly told Israel, if you do this, I will do that. Warning, promise, prophecy. It's all in there. And there are many, many promises for the restoration of Israel. It's so important that we understand the place of prophecy because it gives us the assurance that God is in control has had a plan from the foundation of the earth, that what he says will happen will happen, and that Jesus is indeed coming back in power and great glory to reign. As I don't know how many of you are aware of what is known as end time teaching, I'll teach this morning as though you have no idea of what I'm talking about. So then I should cover most stuff. So I'll give you a thumbnail sketch of what the Bible says. Could you just show of hands anybody who's been exposed to end time teaching? You have. Good. It'd be interesting to see if it lines up. <laughs> Good.
Um, so I'll give you a thumbnail sketch about the time of the Great Tribulation, Matthew 24:21, the second, second advent or the second coming and the catching away or not of the church. If you want to write your questions down, if you have any, and I will try to answer them this afternoon if we have any time, but I did want to try to get in a little bit of time to do some ministry stuff, if I can, because we try to mix this, and I'll be looking at uh, inner vows maybe this afternoon if we get ten minutes. <laughs> Powerful things. Uh, so we'll be looking mainly in the books of Daniel, Matthew's Gospel, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and Revelation today and as I said I've got permission granted to run a course next year on the book of Revelation so today is just an overview I spent a year I think teaching on it um, a couple of years ago um, so there's information here uh, but speak to me if you'd be interested I find as a general rule that if people aren't expecting the imminent arrival of the Lord they're not on the cutting edge of what's happening because it's the very imminence that keeps you on the edge it's certainly a prompt to holy living because if you think Jesus might come tonight or even in the middle of this day, it will cause you to keep short accounts with God and those around you as you're never sure when you will have to give an account before him for the way in which you spent your time and your resources. There is no judgment as such of the Christian, but the believer's works will be um, put up for judgment so that you may get a reward. That's why it's so essential that we walk in the works that Jesus has called us to do. He's prepared them from the foundation of the earth uh, for us to walk in. And Graham Cook's latest teaching is that, you know, God has laid out a path for us. And where the problems are, he's also put provision. So you get there and you think got a problem and stand there and look around for your provision. Because it's there. He would have us care less about provision. He does not want us to be consumed with that, but the world wants us consumed with provision. So that the world gets our eyes on that, like the rest of the world, too much month, not enough money, not actually hearing what God is saying to us in this situation. So we go round and round the same thing. He actually wants us to know that we're his children and he will look after us and where he sends, he'll provide. If he's called us to a ministry, he's done going to provide for it. Because that's his responsibility. The lady said it so simply. She said, well, I figure I'm his sheep, so it's his responsibility to look after me. I thought, that sums it up. I think I'll live in that. So, as I said before, I find some Christians are fearful about what's happening in the world. It is scary. It is scary. Uh, but we could look up uh, and know because we mustn't be nervous of the future because if we are, we're ignorant of his timetable for this planet. So when we're looking at prophetic destinies, we're looking at two distinct people groups, Israel and the church. And we'll talk about unbelievers later. Israel was the wife of Jehovah and the church is the bride of Christ. And as we said before, it's not... Um, adultery or whatever you call it it's the signification of the relationship it is as close as a bridegroom and the bride and a wife and a husband that is what it's re what it's reflecting this is why marriage family is so important to God and what's been broken down in these days marriage family it's all broken down by the uh, author of the problems 
but if we don't actually correctly separate the destinies of these two we'll find ourselves muddled and confused about what the Bible is actually saying and we will apply scriptures that are meant for Israel to the church and vice versa which leads to error regarding God's purposes for the nation of Israel as we'll see later on. The Old Testament never spoke of the church, it was a mystery hidden until Jesus revealed his intentions to Peter in Matthew 16, 18. He said to Peter, on this rock of truth, I will build my church. And Peter must have thought, what's that? What's a church? Knew nothing about it. He goes on then to give him the keys of the kingdom, which is his authority. To bind and to loose, or to uh, release and forgive. It was all about that binding and loosing. is all about forgiving and releasing and government, church government. It's not about the enemy. There's another thing we do with the scriptures, pick them out and use them as spiritual warfare. We experienced some of that in the last 24 hours, so we know what spiritual warfare is about. And Binding and loosing didn't come into it. Many people find themselves confused when reading the Old Testament because of the references to the day of the Lord or in that day. These are references to the second advent of Jesus Christ and pertain to Israel's future. There are instances where there's a pause halfway through a sentence. And we'll have a look at Isaiah 61. This is the most brilliant one. Roger Price opened this one up to us uh, years ago. I would never have noticed it otherwise. Isaiah 61. Somebody's pinched it. Brought my old Bible so I could find the way around and I still can't. <coughs> This is the passage that Jesus quoted in Luke 4, 18 and 19 when he stood up in the synagogue and said, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me uh, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he paused halfway through that verse. And so 2,000 years later, we're waiting and the day of vengeance of our God. And this is what I believe we are coming into now, is the day of vengeance of our God. Hasn't raised the church up to sit back on our haunches and wait for Jesus to come. He's raised her up to be a warrior bride, to do some damage as he leads. So over 2,000 years have passed and the last part of that sentence is still hanging, waiting to be fulfilled. And the day of vengeance of our God is the day of the Lord or that day which is still to come. When God speaks of a day, it can be a 1,000 years. It is a period of time. It is the way that the Bible uses. It's a, it's a Hebrew idiom for a, a span of time. So he fulfilled the first part of the sentence and the church is still fulfilling that because that's what we were told to do. Preach the good news, heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. We're doing that as a church, that is our mandate. But the time when Jesus will return and actually judge the earth is yet to come. And studying the book of Revelation can help you to unpick these passages which may have studied, puzzled you for years or which you might have avoided altogether because you couldn't understand them. 
God says in Amos 3.7 that he never does anything without his telling the servants the prophets because he wants his people to know. He is a God who constantly reveals himself. So let's have a little look first at a few prophecies that have been fulfilled and then we'll go on to look at some that remain to be fulfilled. Roger Price's teaching goes through some brilliant stuff on fulfilled and unfulfilled prophecies. I can't recommend it highly enough to you because brilliant teacher. One of the most interesting prophecies in the Old Testament, for me anyway, concerns the name of an Old Testament saint who you will be well familiar with, Methuselah, whose name means, when I am gone, it will come to pass. His son Lamech had a son whom he called Noah, whose name means rest. So what was it that was going to happen when Methuselah died, aged 969? Well, the answer is judgment and the universal flood. So his name was prophetic. People must have gone round and said to him, what's going to happen then when you pop your clothes? What's it talking about? And then Noah, rest. And then there's the prophecy of Noah, which we looked at when we examined homosexuality. Noah's prophecy over Canaan, uh, the son of Ham, was fulfilled to the letter. And one last example is Abraham in Genesis 12. I mean, these are poor examples really God calls him and covenants with him to make of him a great nation he promises that Abraham's name will be great and he will be a blessing Israel is the nation and we're all blessed because through the Jews Jesus came and there are many many other examples and the Old Testament you'll be aware is packed with references to both the first and second coming of Jesus the two streams because when he came, the Jews were expecting a king in great power and glory, and that's why they didn't want to know. They wanted release from the Roman rule. Are you at this time going to, you know, return the reign to Israel? Not for you to know. Even then, that was when he returned in at the beginning of Acts. They're always after getting rid of the oppressor, as we do. So the first dream was the suffering servant, Isaiah 53, and then secondly as the king in great power and glory. Isaiah 7.14 speaks of a virgin giving birth to the coming saviour. My word, has there been a few arguments over what the word virgin meant. My goodness, mankind will twist anything. Anything. Micah 5.2, he's being born in Bethlehem. Hosea 11.1, being called out of Egypt. Psalm 78, 1 and 2 of his teaching in parables. That's another thing I think where we get it muddled up. I was looking at Psalm 78 this morning. A parable is something that you, a story that you use to illustrate something so the person cannot miss what you're saying. And we have been told that Jesus spoke in parables so the Jews couldn't understand. No, he spoke so they could clearly understand. Look lads, no mistake what I'm saying, like this. But he said to his disciples, it's been given to you to understand what I'm saying. Meaning they are blinded. They can't because God's blinded them. But you, you can see. So it isn't that parables are there to make it difficult for people to understand, which some churches teach, you know, that, that it's done like that so that he masked what he was doing. He came fully revealing himself, fully revealing, look folks, this is me. Um, Isaiah 29, 18 and 19, uh, Isaiah 35, 4 to 6, and Isaiah 61, 1, it talks of his healing the sick. 
Isaiah chapters 43 to 45 and 58 to 66 speak of his restoration of the nation of Israel. And so many times in the Gospels we see the words that it might be fulfilled. And what might be fulfilled? Old Testament prophecy. And there remains much yet to be fulfilled. Um, we've already seen that there were the times of the Gentiles and that the history of Israel is largely on hold until the full number of the Gentiles comes in. Israel is absolutely the key to biblical prophecy. I cannot emphasize enough that the Bible is a Jewish book written for the most part by Jews but sometimes and largely misunderstood by us. So keep in mind that it's about the history of two people groups, Israel and the church. Israel was the wife, as I've said, and the church is the bride. Jesus is an incurable romantic. As any of you who have been caught up in the Toronto blessing know, that he just wants to love on us. He said to me one morning, I've got a problem. And he's saying, I love you. I said, yeah, I know, but I've got this problem. I love you. Yeah, 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 yeah. But right now... <laughs> And suddenly I thought, you idiot, <laughs> just go away and be loved, will you? <laughs> you haven't got a problem. <laughs> uh, we are secured by covenant, blood covenant. The bride price has been paid and he will fulfill that which he purposes for our lives and our eternal destiny. So we'll just nip back for the moment uh, into the world history. So we'll start at the beginning, and we've had a look at that overview that some of you got still. And it's split into three parts. Genesis 1 to 11 deals with the 2,000 years of history of mankind, the first 2,000 years. The remainder of the Old Testament covers the next 2,000 years up to the time of Jesus. And then we have the Gospels, and from then on till now, approximately another 2,000 years have elapsed. Finally, the book of Revelation, which tells us about the future. And we're talking about six to 7,000 years of history. I'm ever so sorry about those of you who have taught, been taught evolution and that the earth is millions of years old. It isn't. It isn't. That is science, knowledge, so-called, trying to explain away the presence of Almighty God. So what we see from the beginning is rebellion which has been passed down to us from the garden. From Genesis to Revelation, God's voice calls Adam, where are you? I think that was the title he gave me for the first one in this series, Adam, where are you? Seeking to restore man to himself. But don't run away with a thought that he's this poor old man who's desperately calling to mankind to come back because he can't live without him, because he's not. You know, if you hear some people speak and hear some churches, it's as though we're doing him a favour when we come to the... We've got to get God back into the place where you have to have two things. You have to know you're absolutely loved and accepted and you have to have a holy fear and awe of this almighty God. I was looking at Elijah this morning, hiding in the cave. And along comes this whirlwind, this huge wind, everything, rocks flying everywhere. And then earthquakes. And you can read over that, 
because we're all looking for the still small voice. But it suddenly struck me, there's Elijah in this cave, you know, and there's all this going on around him. God is demonstrating his power. And I thought, I missed that up until now. In Genesis 4, we see a principle, the development of cities. In verse 9, we see one family, but godlessness and apostasy is breaking out. There's a defection, a revolt, and a falling away from God. And in verse 11, Cain is cursed. Life's going to be hard work. God places a mark on Cain for his protection, but he doesn't believe it. He marries one of his sisters and builds a city, in verse 17. God had said he would protect Cain, but Cain did not believe it. God wasn't enough. He was going to do his own protecting, thank you. And this is the first time that man tries to be totally independent of God, as far as God is concerned. He trusts the walls that he built now. He does not trust God. And the whole healing issue is, what walls have you got around your heart that you don't trust God? We, it's a legacy. We've got these walls that have to be broken down because we don't really think he means good. We think he's after something that we got and we hold very dear, thank you very much, and we are not going to let go of. Um, how am I doing for time? Would you like to take a short break now? Comfort stop. Uh, just take five minutes, stand up, turn around and ease your, ease your whatever needs easing. I hope that's not on the table. <sighs> okay. So Cain trusts the walls he's built now. Please. And Genesis 6, they'll probably be in the shop, finds godlessness breaking out to the extent that judgment must come and mankind is given 120 years to repent and at the end of this time as we know uh, only eight righteousness eight righteous are found and saved from the universal flood noah his wife three sons ham shem and japheth and their wives can i have that map now please In Genesis 10, 6 to 12, after the flood, we see the grandchildren of Noah and a man named Nimrod, born of Ham's son Cush. Ham had four sons, Cush, Mizraim, Put and Canaan. And we know about Canaan from our study on homosexuality. The arrow at the top there is approximately where the ark came to rest on Mount Ararat. There. And we know that Canaan moved across and occupied the land so with the left hand arrow, arrow there and Sodom and Gomorrah was where judgment came there but the guy that we're talking about now is Nimrod and he landed up where the arrow on the right comes I love maps that's it down there Babylon Babylon Shinar in actual fact it's around about where where Abraham was called Ur of the Chaldees so he was in a terribly idolatrous place which Everything was by this time. So here's Nimrod, born of Ham's son Cush. And he settled in the region, uh, Canaan this is, between Sidon and Gaza. You can see those two, um, I think Sidon is, yeah, Sidon there above and below, that's it. Right. And in Genesis 11, we see that they, Nimrod and party, journeyed from the east, that's Ararat, and found a plain in the land of Shinar, in the Tigris-Euphrates Valley there. They settled there. And this is the area that the Bible calls Babylonia, or Chaldea, in southern Mesopotamia. 
And Nimrod, whose name means rebellion, is described in Genesis 10.9 as a mighty hunter before the Lord. It actually literally means against or in defiance of the Lord. Earlier on in the scriptures it says that at that time men became, began to call upon the name of the Lord. That is not the literal translation. At that time men began to profane the name of the Lord. Man has never called on God. It's always been God's initiative. And it just got worse. I mean we're only a little way now uh, from, the, from the fall, the flood. These are the people who came out of the ark got born subsequently. So he is in total rebellion to God, just two generations from Noah. He would have known about Eden and the fall of Adam and Eve and the universal flood, which came because of man's wickedness and rebellion. But he still decides he's going to be ruler around here. And in verse 10, he begins his kingdom by building a city in Babylon, which you've got your arrow to there. He built many cities and he moved on to build Nineveh, where Jonah was sent, you'll remember. So what's wrong with building cities? The same thing that's wrong with building a tower that reaches to heaven, which is what he did. Uh, by building his own protection around him, he was saying, I don't need you, God. So the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and he set himself up. This is a major sign of apostasy. Apostasy is giving up or renouncing your faith, defection, revolt, and falling away. So here they are, one language, one culture, they all thought the same way, they were as one in their rebellion to God. At this point, the whole earth had the same language. And most of it was probably located in and around Babylon. God had told them to scatter, they said no sir, and built themselves a tower just in case he flooded the earth again. So they got somewhere to go. And to make sure they waterproofed it. And this is the beginning of independent rule being established. These people knew God had interrupted man's plans with the flood and they were trying to make sure this wouldn't happen again. It stands as an example of rank disobedience, one of the most evil things man has ever devised. Here is the seed of the rebellion which will come into its fullness at the end of the age. The movement that began here at Babel it's going to become obvious in the future, like a stream that has trickled down the hillside and has gained momentum more and more until it's like a mighty river, swelling and filling as it goes. Man's attempt to be independent of God on every level and to be master of his own destiny. Thank you, Telsa, that's fine. In the book of Revelation, this is referred to as Mystery Babylon in Revelation 17. Suddenly, in the last days, this will be revealed. Anti-God, anti-Christ, everything. A powerful religious system that will glorify man. And this is the New Age movement. It's also what's going on with the United Nations and the League of Nations. The desire to be one world again so mankind can establish the perfect world order. It's what the New Age is all about. Babylon in disguise. This is why it's so important that we don't get sucked in to the new age stuff in any way, shape, manner or form. One world religion, one world government, one world monetary system is where we're headed. Unification of mankind is the goal. Those high up in Freemasonry know that this is the goal of Freemasonry. World domination and the setting up of one man to rule. 
Those lower down see it only as an organisation who does good, little realising the real plan behind it. The World Council of Churches, multi-faith, same thing. All get together, we all worship the same God, don't we? No, we don't. These are all men's attempts to undo what God did at Babel, where he scattered them by giving them different languages and to overthrow the sovereignty of God. So Babel is the seedbed of apostasy and the seedbed of mystery Babylon, which was birthed there. So God moves to stop man, confounds the language, and they're now separated into little groups. Nation, tongues, and races, as Roger Price says, in watertight compartments. So he's got them in rather smaller groups. Uh, and he says, I'll only have to judge them one at a time then, one group at a time and not the whole lot. So Genesis 12, I mean, we're hardly into the Bible, are we? And God now chooses his missionary base, the nation from whom the rest of the world will learn. At least that was the plan. Romans 9, 3 to 5 is their adoption. God chose them sovereignly. And this nation, as I said, now dominates the next 2,000 years of history. At the end of that period, Jesus comes to them as their king. He came as king to his own. Uh, in Matthew 10, verses 5 and 6, he said, Don't go to the Gentiles, go to the lost sheep of Israel. But you know what happened? They rejected him, murdered him, and they went into judgment, the fifth cycle of discipline. I don't have time to go into that now, but you can see the cycles of discipline laid out clearly in Leviticus 26. This will be the first thing, then that will happen, then that will happen, and finally the lamb will vomit you out. And that's what happened. The land vomited them out. Very powerful. But now they're coming back into the land and that's a sign that we're moving into a new phase. Jesus then moved to the Gentile nations and raised up a brand new nation from every nation separated to God and that's us. So we have three major groupings. 1 Corinthians 10.32 shows you we have Jews, Gentiles and believers and the church. So the church is made up of Jew and Gentile but God still has his dealings in the affairs of the nation of Israel. The history isn't over yet. So now we have history, Israel on hold, the church on show and unfulfilled prophecy hanging over us. So that brings us up to date and we need to see what's next and there is a simple scripture which will show you what the next thing on God's prophetic timetable is. And that is Matthew 24, 3 to 31. Not going to read it all, but you can read it at your leisure. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them and said, Take heed, no one deceives you. And so he goes on. So they're saying, when, what, and the end of the age. And the word end here is suntanalia, S-U-N-T-E-L-E-L-I-A, which signifies a bringing to completion or a consummation of the various parts of a scheme. They were asking him about the end times, the consummation of all things, the end of the world. And what follows is a description of the things they can expect. This is known as the Olivet Discourse. The disciples, having drawn Jesus' attention to the temple and being told, don't look at that, they then ask, 
what signs? So here's Jesus, he's a Jew, speaking to Jews, not Greeks like us. So he's talking about things they are familiar with. And I just love his sense of humour at this point. He's sitting on the Mount of Olives, he's sitting, this is the Olivet Discourse. He's saying, lads, this is how it's going to be, all this will happen and I'm going to come back. And he's sitting on the very spot that his feet will touch when he comes back. Sense of humour or what? And you can see that in Zechariah 14.4. His foot will stand on the Mount of Olives. But verse 15 frightened the life out of me when I was first a Christian in Matthew 24. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. I thought, I don't understand. I didn't understand for years. It frightened me to bits. Until I received some end time teaching. So they've just left the temple and it has flying buttresses, this temple, grand thing. And Jesus refers back to the time in Daniel when Nebuchadnezzar puts his statue up, both inside and outside the temple, on the flying buttresses. And he says, this will happen again. It will happen again during the Great Tribulation period when the Antichrist does the same thing, sets up things for himself. Who is that? Not Idi Amin, the other one wanted to, that, that thought he was Nebuchadnezzar all over again. Wanted to do a statue to himself, didn't he? So here Jesus is laying out God's prophetic timetable for Israel. He's telling them what they can expect, how to recognize what's happening when it happens. He's saying, don't be afraid, look up, understand, discern correctly, read the signs. So this passage is future. Excuse me. What is the tribulation of those days? Verse 21 is trouble. This verse shows that this is a period of trouble the like of which the earth has never seen. Because he says it. For then will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And verses 29 and 30 show what's coming immediately after the tribulation of those days. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the, the Son of Man coming in clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He is referring then to his second advent or second coming, which is what follows this time of great tribulation on the earth. During the break, Kathy over there, who runs a trust called the Mount Moriah Trust, which supports financially uh, those who are short uh, of money in Israel, which is pretty well everyone, they, they, they believers in Israel, brought me this. I'll put it on the table for you to see because it's very, pre very precious. And it's actually all about what I'm teaching this morning and she had no idea what I was going to be teaching. It's a banner. It must be huge. How uh, long is it? And it shows the horse on which Jesus rides. It came from someone's vision. Flames coming out of his nostrils. And groups of 50 mounted on horses behind him. Second Advent. So there is a pictorial 
thing that someone has had a vision of there um, of the second advent. She also gave me this because the lady is teaching on this and it's all about you are in the army. Lovely stuff. It's what I like as a confirmation when I'm doing something. So uh, that's absolutely brilliant. Please just look at it and not put your paws on it because your husband's taken a long time to do it. It's beautiful, isn't it? See, I needed to draw a lion. Um, and I was an artist before I became a Christian and I offered that gift up to the Lord and it only comes out now and again. But this lion has come out, hasn't it? Uh, and uh, people are saying, I want a copy of that. It's got eyes that follow you around. <laughs> anyway, and I want it on the front of the stuff, Lion of the tribe of Judah. So then, Matthew 25, 31 and 32, after the second advent of Jesus, there is judgment, and Jesus separates the believers and the unbelievers. The believers are the sheep, the unbelievers are the goats, and the unbelievers are removed from the earth and kept for the great white throne judgment. So Matthew 25, 33 and 34, we see uh, his kingdom is set up on earth for a thousand years and the believers start living on the earth and children are born to them and the earth is populated again. So that is a general sweep of history. If you know Revelation, you'll know right at the end, Satan has been locked up at the beginning of the thousand years. He's let out for a little while and again he leads the majority of the people who were born um, during that thousand years off uh, to destruction with himself really uh, Sarah was saying this morning I love it she said Jesus just goes and that's the end of that so just as Genesis we were looking at was is a book of beginnings revelation is the book of consummation in it the divine program of redemption is brought to fruition and the holy name of God is vindicated before all creation Although there are numerous prophecies in the Gospels and Epistles, Revelation is the only New Testament book that focuses primarily on prophetic events. Its title, as I've said, means unveiling or disclosure or revelation. Uh, the book is the unveiling, disclosure or revelation of that which would otherwise be hidden. And the title comes from the first verse, Apocalypsis Yeso Christu in the Greek, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants the things which must shortly, quickly or swiftly take place. That God is revealing his plan. The book opens on the Isle of Patmos, where John, the remaining disciple, who was by this time about 96, is imprisoned because of his testimony of Jesus. This island of volcanic rock was one of several places to which the Romans banished criminals and political offenders. John has been exiled to die of exposure and starvation. But here the Lord appears to him in a glorious vision. Here is the warrior king, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The book was written at a time when hostility to Christianity was erupting into overt persecution. After he'd done his time at the end of the reign of the Emperor Domitian, it's likely that John was released and allowed to return to Ephesus where he died. The subject and object of the book is the revelation of the awesome majesty of the resurrected Christ, chapter 1. And it begins with a vision of his glory, wisdom and power. 
He alone is the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Here is our Lord Jesus Christ, revealed in all his unspeakable majesty as the Word of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the undisputed sovereign ruler of the universe, at whose name every knee bows and every tongue confesses he is Lord. And he is the head of the church to whom he writes in chapters 2 and 3. In chapter 4, we're transported to heaven to see everything from heaven's viewpoint. John is with the Saviour in heaven as the judgments of Almighty God are poured out on the earth. And this is where people begin to get frightened. In chapter 5, we see Jesus as the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the earth, who alone is found worthy to open the scroll, written on both sides and sealed with seven seals. This scroll is the title deed to the earth. In chapters 6 to 18, his universal judgment on mankind is revealed as he begins to open the seven seals, followed by seven trumpets and vials, and that shows the order of events. Keep in mind, you will not be here for this. I doubt if you'll be interested to be looking over a cloud to see what's going on either, in view of what we're going to be doing at the time. Chapter 19 deals with the second advent of Jesus, which is right at the end of the outpouring of the seventh vial, at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. Jesus comes, second advent, with his saints, separates the sheep and the goats, pens Satan in the abyss for a thousand years, consigns the beast and the false prophet to the flames, and here commences the millennium. And I just said in Revelation 20, at the end of this time, Satan is released for a short while and goes forth once again to lead men into rebellion against God. Remember that all during this time, Satan's locked up, Jesus is in Jerusalem, so anyone who's living on the earth can go and see Jesus any time they like. Uh, they can see him any time they like, and Satan can't affect them because he's locked up. So here we see man's real free will. And then the final conflict comes in Revelation 20, which ends forever man's refusal to accept the will of God for their lives. The counterfeit religion spawned in the garden is brought to a final end as the great white throne judgment takes place. And all unbelievers, together with Satan, who joins the beast and the false prophet, are flung into the lake of fire. Tears, death, sorrow, pain and crying are passed away. In Revelation 21, as much as we need to know about the new heaven and new earth are there. And paradise lost at the fall becomes paradise regained. The book closes with the incomparable message of hope, salvation and redemption accomplished in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh. <laughs> Making signs to say I'm cutting my throat. Let's have a look now at God's purpose in the time of tribulation which to come on the earth. And to see this we need to go to the book of Daniel. Daniel 9:24. Daniel is after Ezekiel a bit and before Hosea, after Ezekiel a bit. Daniel 9, 24. 
Daniel 9.24, which says, Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. Daniel's people, Jews, holy city, Jerusalem. So it locates where it's, what's being spoken about. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. There's plenty in there. To finish transgression, this will finish Israel's time of apostasy. They will return to him. To put an end to sin, humanity's cup of iniquity is now filled to overflowing and God will bring judgment on the earth for their rejection of his son. To atone for wickedness, a reference to Israel's restoration to the Messiah. To bring in everlasting righteousness, when they, Israel, experience revival in the millennial, the millennial kingdom can come in. To seal up vision and prophecy. When Israel have found their Messiah, there will no longer be any need for vision and prophecy. All will have been fulfilled. To anoint the most holy, Jesus, as King of kings and Lord of lords, to reign and rule. So when you open it up, that passage is not difficult. It locates where you are, who's doing what to whom, who he's talking about. The purpose of the tribulation that's to come upon the earth is twofold. The first is that it's the time of trouble which was prophesied to Israel as the time of Jacob's trouble. You can see this in Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Would be worth having a look at it. I'll stop there so that you can change the thing over. Yeah. 